0: Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seeker Sunday School class. My name is Tammy Stewart, and I am the teacher for this Sunday. This uh, teaching follows the seminar teachings on the prophet. I thought Pastor uh, had put together an excellent package of information about the prophet, beginning with, establishing the prophet, types of prophecy, false prophets, seers and prophets, uh, apostles and prophets, and then, of course, uh, at the end, there was the saints and the prophets. We, as a body, affirm that the role of the prophet does bring a measure of structure to the church. I have entitled my teaching, mantles and coverings, and the subtitle is Gifts and Callings. In biblical times, a mantle was typically a large, loosely fitting garment made of animal skin. Now the mantle served a practical purpose of keeping people warm and protecting them from the elements but it also served a spiritual, as a spiritual symbol. And in the case of the prophets, which is what we're talking about, it was a sign to show that they were wrapped in God's authority. Now, secondly, the mantle also provides a depiction of a New Testament principle. The mantle is an indication of the anointing of the spirit on people whom God has choos- chosen to be his prophetic ones. Now this isn't on your handout because this is my introduction, but in romans eleven twenty nine it says, "For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now, without repentance." means that God won't change his mind about what he has called us to do. If God called you, that calling is still there, whether or not you have obeyed. And God also gave you a gift. And you know what? That gift is still there as well. Now, the gifts in this passage of scripture refers to the fivefold ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Um, and this is interpretation, of course. But they say that there are seven unique uh, callings of God. And I want you to note that as I run through these, just real quick in this introduction, They all begin with the letter S. (coughs) So number one is the call to salvation. We are redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, from what? The consequences of sin and death. Number two, the call to sanctification. So through Jesus' blood, we are cleansed from sin. And enabled through grace to be made a holy person. Number four, the call to service. That satisfies the needs of people, which in turn expresses thanks to God and leads others to praise Him. It builds up the body of Christ. And then number four, the call to separation to be separated is to disconnect from the world and not to have fellowship with those of the carnal world who do not believe or accept God. Okay, number five, the call to sonship. The process of becoming a son by following the example and leadership of Jesus. Number six, the call to subjection yielding to the power and authority of God the Father as the one and only true God of heaven and earth. And then finally, number seven, the call to suffering. Evil, pain, distress, in this life is preparation for heaven and eternity. A calling is as dynamic as gifts. Although God may choose to manifest a gift through someone over the span of a lifetime, and thereby limit the person's calling to some specific task for life. God may also choose to manifest a gift for a particular time and place. And that would be like the grace gifts. We serve a God of variety and we must stay grounded in the location where he places us. So I just want to bring that part to a conclusion. Um, If you're looking at my handout, uh, I am going to uh, talk about mantles in the beginning here. And a mantle is, uh, there's several words, and the first one in Hebrew is Adareth. And I have the definition there. Um, it is a large overgarment, and this word was used uh, of Elijah's mantle when they make reference to it. And uh, they think that it was probably sheepskin. And also, I thought this was interesting. It is a word denoting the goodly Babylonish garment, which Achan coveted. And this was in the book of Joshua. You know, Achan was involved on the assault of Jericho. And he violated the sacrificial ban to not steal gold, silver, or you know, fine clothing. He found a garment and hid it in his tent. And uh, it was quite a treasure that he had found. Um, And he knew it was to be uh, uh, a very costly garment that he had taken. Um, No one (laughs) knew about this. It was on the sly. And it was discovered when Israel could not defeat their enemies at Ai. So they drew lots and it was revealed that it was Achan. And he and his family were stoned and cremated in the valley of Gilgal. So, I mean, it was a serious offense. A mantle refers to one's calling and represents a person's gift. And the root of Adareth is Adar, which means glorious, splendid, marvelous, and mighty. I like that definition. Um, And then this is on the aside. Uh, Adar is the last month in the Hebrew religious calendar. Its time span is February to March and it is considered the best period to remove any barriers in pursuit of personal holiness. We just came through the seminar at that time period. Uh, Secondly, it is an occasion to create or bring to life something new. And lastly, a time of completion being the last month of the Hebrew year there was definitely much activity in the spirit realm <laughs> you know, during the seminar about these uh, three facets that I mentioned. Uh, personal holiness, uh, creating something new spiritually, and finally, uh, a time of completion. I had no idea. I find that very uh, interesting. All right, let's go to our first scripture. Uh, The name Elijah means the Lord is my God, and Elisha is God is my salvation. Now I want you to notice that Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. You know, the usual number was two to four oxen. He had to be very skilled and strong To manage so many. So let's look at this. It's 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 19 through 21. So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he with the 12th and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people. And they did eat. And then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Concerning the call of Elisha, you know, it was an unexpected summons because he was plowing. (laughs) It also appears that he was a great man by the size of the feast uh, for his family before he left. It appears that Elisha cheerfully and with, great, with a great deal of satisfaction, uh, he leaves all to accompany Elijah. Now, notice that Elijah did not wait for him. Scripture tells us Elisha went after Elijah and ministered to him. You know, Elisha learned much from Elijah. We know that. And here, early on, he was willing to leave Elijah, uh, leave his family, and go serve Elijah, and uh, acted like a servant, even though in his terio where he lived, he was considered probably a very great man. Um, You know, we know from numerous teachings that a prophet must die to self and decrease.
1: Go ahead, Les. I just wanted to make an observation because um, you know you, you look at this, and Elisha was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, right? And um, the interesting thing to me is, you know, oxen—they're—they're they're very strong and lean, and they're work animals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They typically are not what you're going to feed. Okay, I mean you're going to have, you know, the stalled calf or, or whatever, and you know you talk about that concept of burning bridges. You know, if you're if you're really committed to battle, you're going to cross the bridge and you're going to burn it so there's no way back. And I look at this and I wonder, it, you know, it, it says that not only did he just leave his family and follow Elijah, he killed the twelve oxen and he boiled them. With all of the instruments that it takes to plow, mm-hmm. and then he fed his family with that, and then he left. So there was no going back to the yoke of oxen, right? Right. So I mean, I I, I kind of get the feeling that he was um, obviously he was a mighty man to be able to plow with the yoke, with 12, uh, twelve oxen, but also he was a commit. He was this was to me this shows um, early on his level of commitment.
0: And he brought that part of his life to a complete close, didn't he? Because he didn't have any of those tools anymore, or those animals. That's a very good point, Les. I like that. Um, I think what I wanted to say here, just to just to kind of bring this to closure, was you know, that we know our prophet dies to self. And, um, and he does this, or she does this, in order to serve the will of God, and to establish the kingdom. I mean, that's the whole point of it. Alright. Uh, let's go to the next scripture. Um, God visits Elijah. This is kind of an introduction here to this scripture. And he is asking him what he's doing in the cave. Um, he begins to give reasons why he came to the desert and you know, took up residence in this hole. And um, he decides it's safe now to spend his life in solitude rather than go to the people uh, because they don't want to be reformed anyway. Um, At long last, um, you know, through this whole passage of scripture here, he finally perceives that still small voice um, by which God spoke to him. And I want you to note here that, you know, he didn't hear it in the wind. He didn't hear it in the earthquake or the fire. But God... uh, chose to make it known, his mind, to him in really uh, soft whispers, and it really didn't come forth through like dreadful weather sounds, which some people think is the way it, that God should act. Funny that they would think that. So let's just look at 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. Again, here's our key word, Adoreth. And notice that it also means uh, something ample. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Assyria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abimelech shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Um, you know, Elijah <laughs> tells God that he is the only prophet left for all the others have been slain. And God tells him that he has 7,000 in Israel. You know, God always had and will have a faithful remnant to him to keep their integrity. You know, we know God's righteous ones are often his hidden ones. And, and notice that addereth or mantle, as I had uh, referenced earlier, is defined as something ample. And, you know, ample means... Generous um, or abundant. Elijah's calling and identity was expansive enough for whatever task God required of him to accomplish. Yet Elijah was afraid and unbelieving, and and wanted to die. You know, today for us. Um, you know, we need to embrace, and this is not on your handout, uh, Proverbs 18, 16. A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. So if I go back to that phrase, maketh room, that means broaden, to open wide. Isn't that what ample means? <coughs> yeah. All right, let's let's just keep going. Uh, this next uh, scripture is Elijah and Elisha talking. So Second Kings chapter two verses six to eight. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, Adareth, and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. All right, now think back with me to the Old Testament, of course. Uh, When Joshua uh, first entered Canaan, God divided the Jordan River near Jericho, Okay. Now, looking at the passage I just read, now Elijah must go on the other side of Jordan into his native country to be, as we know, translated by God. Elijah is magnified in his exit, just as the Lord did with Joshua in his entrance. They both passed through the water and had to find a way through. And you know, it was glorious for both of them. Now, when I was thinking about this, I started reflecting on, and I apologize. I, I try not to do this too much, jump around. But uh, I know some of you have your phone or your iPad. I, I want for a minute just to reference Ezekiel 47.5. And I'll just, I'll just summarize this real quick. Um, and it has to do with this point that I just made. Ezekiel um, had a vision of holy waters um, which describe heaven and the river of life. Um, remember that he recounts you know, water to the ankles, uh, then the knees, the loins, and finally, rising waters to swim in. He saw water issuing out of the holy place and said it was a river he could not pass over. All right, now I'm going to jump ahead. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 17, the Lamb of God, Jesus, shall lead them into living fountains of water. The death of Christ has divided those waters that the ransomed, of the Lord may pass over. Do you see the connection there? I think that's really powerful. Wow. The biting of the waters. All right. Let's just let's just keep going. This next one is Elijah, and it's Second Kings chapter two, verses thirteen through eighteen. <coughs> he took up also the mantle, Adareth, Of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said where is the Lord God of Elijah and when he also had smitten the waters he parted thither and uh, hither and thither and uh, Elisha went over and when the sons of the prophets which were to view you know they were the witnesses at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord have taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, Ye shall not send and when they urged him till he was all uh, you know was ashamed he said send and they sent them uh, sent therefore 50 men and they sought 3 days but found him not and when they came again to him for he tarried at jericho he said unto them did i not say unto you go not all right When um, Elijah went to heaven, he left his mantle as a legacy to Elisha, and as a token of the descent of the spirit upon him. Elisha now possesses Elijah's mantle, the badge of the office of the prophet, which he put on and wore. He now has the power and authority to divide Jordan. Elijah's last miracle shall be Elisha's first. And it was mine. Now look uh, at the latter part of verse 14. Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He does not ask, where is Elijah? God had protected and provided for Elijah and in many ways honored him. Now now he says, Lord, am I not promised Elijah's spirit? We have lost Elijah, but we have not lost Elijah's God. The Lord God of the prophets is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right. I'm going to go to another word for mantle, which in Hebrew is ma'il. And it is applied to the robe of the ephod and it's uh, under tunic and it's blue and it it falls below the knees. And what was interesting about it is it it did not have a seam, it was one whole piece. And you put it on by pulling it over your head. And uh, the point that they were trying to make is that it was worn by priests, by kings, by prophets and also rich men. So in the Old Testament, great care uh, was taken concerning the priest's clothing, because they were to minister in the holy place. Everything was carefully followed according to the specifications that God had given. Aaron, uh, who had humbly served as a prophet to his younger brother Moses, has now been advanced to be priest, a high priest to God. It was a requirement that those who ministered at the altar should give themselves wholly to this service only. God chose from among them Aaron and his four sons to be a family of priests. And Aaron's lineage descended from his lineage descended all the priests of the Jewish church. Now, that's not so important uh, for us, but uh, my next point, I think, will kind of reinforce that. So let's keep going. Remember, we're talking about a garment here. So Ezekiel 25, uh, 28, 1 through 5. Um, and take thou unto Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's sons, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. All right, so we're going to talk about these pieces of clothing now. Can I stop for a second? Yes. Just on what, you, what you just read, You know, I, I love the fact that that was pointed out, that the people who made the garments were filled with wisdom. Because I think you know a lot of people struggle with what they're called to do as if it's not an important function all these guys said you know like they made the garments you know they didn't have any people they weren't in front of the people they weren't you know they were unknown but they were filled with wisdom and it just shows that everyone that god calls he's going to quit and filled with wisdom to do their their part and it's important excellent anyway, go on. yeah i like that <laughs> i like that very much all right so let's let's look at these garments <clears throat> Now as I go through this, I want you to know that there are six garments we're going to reference here. And remember that the number six is the number of man. All right, so let's see, Four, verse 4. It says, and these are the garments which they shall make. OK, here we go. A breastplate and an ephod. Now I looked this up because I wanted to make sure I had it straight in my head. It's a shoulder piece. And then the next thing is a robe, which is the word that we're focused on today, uh, uh, ma'il. And uh, ma'il is a, I didn't mention that earlier, but it is a covering. That's how they identify it. And a broidered or reticulated. Now, what they're talking about, coat. And what they're talking about is a checkered coat. Um, Then we have a miter. And uh, it's (coughs) the turban or the, the headpiece. And then there's a girdle (laughs) which is actually belt. It's belt, so there are six pieces here. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. So, you know, a lot of detail here. The priest's garments were appointed for glory and beauty. And you know, when you think about us today, um, our adorning as priest of God under the gospel is not to be gold and pearl and costly <coughs> array. But our garments are the garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. That is our covering. Okay. I mean, I, I'm kind of building here, so let me keep going. Um, in this next scripture, um, David had an excellent opportunity to destroy Saul. And really, to his honor, uh, he did not make use of it. Um, Saul uh, sparing Saul's life was an instance really of God's grace in him. So let's look at this. This is 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24 verses 4 through 6. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe and again here's our, our word ma'il privile. and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt and he said unto his men the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master the Lord's Anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. All right, so let's look at this. David cut off the skirt of Saul's robe, but he soon repented that he had done it because it was an affront to Saul's royal dignity. Now David reasons strongly both with himself and with his servants against doing any kind of hurt or harm to Saul. Um, He considered Saul now not as his enemy, but as God's anointed. Saul is the person whom God had anointed to reign as long as he lived and who was under the protection of divine law and authority. Now, the only point I have here is, let's jump to today. Let's think about the structure in the church. Let's start with the (coughs) top. Who's in charge? (coughs) Pastor. He is the head of our church. And that begins the authority structure. So God has placed him in that position, and he is the anointed one. Um, When you don't see eye to eye, probably with maybe something he has taught or preached or released, you need to take that to the Lord, and you need to deal with that through Because God has placed him in that position. Now, God also will take care of Pastor Ron. You know, he looks after him, too. But under his authority, we need to accept. If we cannot accept what he says, then we need to get with God. Because resolution has to be uh, effectively done because otherwise there is that division that occurs, as you know. So that's, that's my point there. And I, I wanted to make that because you can see what happened with David. And, oh, my goodness, what a story that was of being pursued by Saul and the things that had happened to him. And all of a sudden he has this opportunity, but he doesn't take it. Why? Because that was God's anointed. All right. Jumping ahead now, uh, let's go to um, Job. Um, The history of Job begins with an account um, of his great piety, uh, his great prosperity, and then the devil comes. And he did all that he desired to do against Job in order to provoke him, to uh, curse God. So let's read these two verses. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell upon the ground, and worshipped. And he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. All right, so Job, uh, he's conducting himself like a man Under afflictions, uh, you know, he arose, he ran his mantle, he shaved his head. You know, these are the usual expressions of great sorrow um, to show that, you know, you're trying to be sensible and and, uh, concerning the hand of God that has come out against you, you know, what do you do? Uh, But notice that he did not break out into any extravagant, at this point in time, passion. He's pretty pretty calm here. Um, you know, he kept his temper. Uh, uh, he bravely maintained the possession of his soul. Um, the time when he began to show his feelings uh, was not until he heard of the death of his children. And basically, this is what we're falling into here: is when he rent his mantle. Um, you know, he continued to humble himself under the hand of God. Now, notice, and I'm trying to stay with these two verses. At this time period, he looked upon himself only as naked, not maimed, and not wounded, Okay. Now, let's talk about him renting that mantle. Job's children were his identity and his heritage. And you know, we have an eternal identity and heritage in God. We cannot lose it, but we can throw it aside, and we can allow it to atrophy. We must recognize that God has really blessed us with and uh, continues to grow us and to mature us in our calling into a thing of beauty and honor, really, before our Father. And, you know, some people take their gifts from God and they use them in a twisted and a perverse way. And one of the results of doing that, there's many, can cause others to stumble. Those around you, those that know you, may not be family. And they may turn away from serving the Father. You know, and that can be that can be dangerous. We must not forget that these mantles are splendid and marvelous. And when we surrender those mantles to God, He will develop and refine them for His glory. You know i don't want to be guilty of causing someone to fall do you you know we always think about our children those little eyes looking up at us and we try to be the model parents well we have to remember that those around us that we know in a very casual way or maybe in a very close manner and it's it speaks of family but i'm also talking about just friends just people that Got to be very careful. You do not want to be the one that causes another to stop. All right, get off that topic. All right, let's keep going. <coughs> now, this next one is fun. Um, Hannah and uh, her husband um, came every year to the house of God with their yearly sacrifice. And, um, you know, I think, I don't know this, but I think it was probably possible that they came more often to see their child Samuel because it was about uh, 10 miles from Ramah, where they lived, to to travel to Shiloh. So that's that's not too bad, you know, at that time period. It's not too far. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is this little coat which Samuel's mother uh, brought to him from year to year at Shiloh uh, is this word me'el that we've been talking about. And remember that this garment was designated for priests, prophets, and kings. So let's, let's read about this. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18-20. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat, the eel, and brought it to him from year to year. And when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, and Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman, for the loan." which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their home. All right, so we're going to (laughs) talk about Samuel here. Um, You know, perhaps the child Samuel attended to Eli by lighting a candle, holding a dish, running an errand, uh, or even shutting a door. And because he did this with a pious disposition of mind, notice it is called ministering to the Lord. You know, further in Scripture, it talks about uh, the blessing he received from the Lord. It says he grew before the Lord as a tender plant in strength and stature and especially in wisdom and understanding. Samuel was in favor with the Lord and with man. He was chosen as high priest over Eli's sons. I think what we need to remember about this little incident is Samuel was born to an obscure Country, Levite family—they were really unknowns, except for this, you know, this section that we have the Bible about. Isn't that amazing? You know, they were—they were just, you know, one of the masses, just one of the many, many of the poor that lived at that time period. Isn't that just like God? <laughs> it's amazing, just amazing. All right. Um, my my last word for mantle is covering. And it's uh, the Hebrew word uh, atah. It means to wrap, cover, veil, clothe, or roll. And uh, I. This is an unusual scripture I picked, but there's a point to this as well. Um, let me let me mm-hmm. introduce you to what's happened. Um, preparations were um, in the making and that a war with the Philistines would put an end to the life and reign of Saul. Um, so Saul is in a very despairing and desperate condition. So what does he do? society is going to consult the witch to bring Samuel up who has done. Now here's the thing. Divination was expressly forbidden by the law. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 11. And Saul Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee uh, divine unto me by the familiar. Spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layeth thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul sware to her by the Lord saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, remember that, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art. Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered a ta, which means to wrap, with a mantle. Here's the other word, ma'il. We get both of them. And Saul perceived, notice what Saul did, and Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped, or uh, he's, he's bowing with his face to the ground, and then he prostrates himself. All right. Now, here's what I want you to look at. Notice that Saul never saw Samuel. He only perceived The woman, the witch, actually saw Samuel and she described him to himself. Okay, now my point here is that Samuel is wrapped in a mantle, okay, which we know signified the office of the prophet. Right? The Old Testament saints, when they died, were held in paradise until Jesus set the captives free the Now they reside in heaven. So, let's go back. I referenced this scripture earlier. It was Romans 11, 29. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, which means they're irrevocable forever. Our gifts and callings are eternal. shows us that as the bull he still retained his spiritual gifts while he was in paradise even before Jesus saved him free you know we hear this a lot but if you think about this particular incident it really nails it down okay I will we finish, but let's keep going for this particular word covering here. Um, this is uh, Jeremiah. Um, uh, let me give you a little introduction to the scripture. Um, mm-hmm. He had uh, faithfully delivered his message from God to the people, but uh, they had contempt for the message and they denied it was from God. And so they ended up taking Jeremiah with them to Egypt. And then what happens is the word of the Lord comes again through the prophet Jeremiah, and this is what he says. So, chapter 43, verses 10 through 12. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The God of Israel, behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne upon these stones that I have hid, and he shall spread his royal pavilion over them. And when he cometh he shall smite the land of Egypt and deliver such as are for death to death and such as are for captivity to captivity and such as are for the sword to the sword and I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt and he shall burn them and carry them away captives and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puteth, here's our word tall on his garment, It's a covering, and he shall go forth from thence in peace. So, Jeremiah prophesies that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, will make himself master of spoils like the putting on of ornaments of armor or even though they're heavy, your heavy duty your spoils. And then he will accomplish this with much ease as a shepherd would slip on his garment when he goes to turn out his sheep in the morning. He shall make no more of this this pillage gentleman of a shepherd's coat, he shall go forth in peace, with no resistance, and completely reduce the land of Egypt to desolation. So I thought that was an interesting uh, interpretation of this book, um, You know, uh, and this caused me to reflect Jesus said, this is Matthew uh, verses 29 and 30. It's not a I'm going to just summarize it real quick. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lonely in heart and ye shall find rest to your souls. Now, listen to what he says next. For my yoke and look this up. It means a being So, my yoke is easy, and my burden or my task is light. We are his servants, and only he can give us the which is a force born into us that tends to produce. So that concludes my